You're going to get us both killed or expelled, Larry gasped as he finally pulled even with her. Welcome back to the Remedial Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Brady, along with my two co-hosts, Delbert and Baylor. And, you know, it's been a week for the people at home, but for us, it's been, what, two and a half, three weeks or something now since we've recorded. So I am uh, very excited to be back in here with you guys. Yeah, we've had a little bit of a delay. Um, it, it's it's nice to be back, and I'm hoping that we can get a couple episodes saved up again because the stress of this week has been a little bit much. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, we were able to get a session in, and, you know, Thanksgiving kind of, the holiday season just kind of wrecks plans all over the place, so. Yeah, tough time with families and with sales gigs and what else, like, not a lot of spare time during this time of year. It it has been hard to get in the studio, but we're here now, and we're going to crank out, uh, hopefully, a good episode for everybody. Uh, Really, kind of before we jump into the episode, or the main discussion at least, there's a few things, I think, that need to be talked about and addressed and i think one of those is uh uh, just a few things that are coming to us some feedback we're getting from those of you who who know us on discord who talk to us on discord first i'd like to just issue a blanket apology to all of those of you who are bothered by the fact that we've been saying clockwork gnome instead of clockwork golem uh to be honest i think that's just a bit of a slip because the three of us play and have played hearthstone in the past where there is something called a clockwork gnome and that's just a little bit more in our brains. So from now on, at least for the next 30 seconds, I can guarantee we will not say Clockwork Gnome anymore. Fair enough. 30 seconds is about the most I can promise, though. I'm not going to lie. I didn't even know I was saying it wrong if I was, so my bad. I also was surprised, to be honest. When you came in and told me that, I was like, oh, really? We have? Okay. Yeah, cool. I just saw that on the uh, on the Discord the other day. And the other thing I'd like to address from the Discord is that there's been some consternation that we've called this one of the most popular Harry Potter fan fictions and you know I guess what I have to say about that is it's one of the most popular Harry Potter fan fictions to me yeah I mean maybe you're just looking into the future right like we're opportunists this is clearly going to be number one by the time our podcast is finished you know that's a that's a good milestone (laughs) to to reach for Uh, I would say that Based on my knowledge of Harry Potter fan fiction, this is the one I've heard the most about outside of the Harry Potter universe, so to speak. So, to me, it all is also one of the most popular. So, yeah, I'll be honest. I don't know the most popular other than Methods of Rationality. I know is pretty big. I just basically searched for you know whatever I could find and read what sounded interesting. So I don't even know which ones are more popular than others. Yeah, and I think the the biggest takeaway for me. And for those of you who uh, were talking about this on the Discord, should be that that success is born from confidence. So you know, it's like fake it till you make it. Even though we're not the most popular podcast right now, we're going to pretend we are until we actually are. Should be the same way with the book. Yeah, and while you're talking about that, I'm just going to throw it back to the eight guys working in our studio to uh, help support us and let them throw an ad spot in for us too. I think they didn't hear you. Do we have uh, advertisers? Well, you said fake it till you make it. Oh, I see. Uh, the next thing uh, I think that we wanted to bring up was that, Baylor, you said we've got some interaction on our on our social media, so I'm going to go ahead and let you inform the others what they're missing out on. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, kind of, I'm the kind of person that 
enjoys being noticed, I would I would say. And yeah, it was nice when our family and friends were reaching out on the Facebook and the Instagram and all that stuff and saying, man, you guys are doing a great job. Like, thanks, but you're kind of obligated to say that because you're family. But we have actually got a couple messages and a, and a comment from people that I have absolutely no idea who they are. So shout out to those three people. Um, going back to, like I said, like we've said before, it's been oh, quite a while since we recorded. <laughs> so here you go. Uh, shout out to Raul2311 on Instagram who just said, hey, just want to say I love the podcast. And, you know, we really appreciate your feedback. Um, we really hope that you're enjoying the episodes this, thus far. Um, another shout out to Glistening Sunlight on Instagram. His name's Samuel, I learned. And uh, he just asked, do you guys have planned to cover the entire Alexander Quick series? And I would say, why the hell not? You know, It's a long series, but you know what? Right now we're having a fun time, and I, uh, I'm not going to say no. Yeah, I mean, I know we discussed that when we first started it up, and whether or not we do it all in a timely fashion is another thing entirely, but I have no reason not to continue doing it. I love the series, so. I mean, at this point, with what's already out, if we continue doing this one time a week until we're through the series, we're all going to be like five or six or seven years older when we're done. Yeah. Yeah. Come grow old with us, folks. Book seven might be done by the time we finish the first five or hopefully six that's coming out soon. We can cross our fingers for sure. That's kind of how I grew up in life. I was born when the first couple books came out, and then as I grew up, the Harry Potter series finished. It was kind of cool. But So, yeah, those were our messages on Instagram. And then uh, shout-out to Lat or going back to last the last episode, we casted Constance and Forbearance. And, uh, man, I'm going to butcher the heck out of this, but... Katsurogi underscore Chan on Instagram said, oh, I really like the Julia Garner as Constance and Forbearance. So shout out to you, Delbert, for Woo! for getting a good pick there. Yeah, thank God I watched Ozarks. Great show. I guess on the in the mental scoreboard I've been keeping, you have a slight advantage right now. Nice. We also have big news that we learned of on the Discord. The book's author himself is apparently listening to our podcast. So that's, that's pretty pretty awesome. That is pretty cool. And, you know... The we've discussed this before, but we would like to get Inverarity on the podcast at some point. I don't know whether or not that's going to happen, but I think listening to the podcast is probably a step in the right direction. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's better than saying I'm never going to listen to your podcast. We're closer than that mark. So maybe eventually we'll climb that mountain. We're just we're just turning on the engine. It's heating up as we're going forward. So we'll <laughs> see where the. The engine revs up too. But listen, Inverarity, if you need to advertise for book six, you know where to do it. Exactly. That's a great idea. I would borderline say we would do that for free. Uh I certainly would not charge. Yeah. <laughs> Since we're talking about the socials, why don't Delbert, why don't you go ahead and introduce the socials that way everybody knows where to find us if they're new to the podcast? What are our socials, Brady? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't. Well, I have them written down in a Word doc, but I don't have the doc on. Me. Since you've asked, <laughs> our socials are Instagram and Twitter. Okay, at the underscore rm podcast. You can also find us on Facebook by just searching our podcast name, and you can send us some emails uh, at remediomagicpodcast at gmail dot com. And I think it's becoming more imperative that you guys start sending stuff in because apparently my two co-hosts don't know what our socials are. Listen, it's been a long break, okay? I wasn't ready for it. 
I mean, this is amateur hour here anyway, so... <laughs> If you send it to the socials, when we remember what the socials logins are, we will look at it and we will throw you a shout out. Um, I guess one final thing before we get into the actual meat of the discussion here is we've been passing these along in our group chat outside of the podcast as well. But I just wanted to call attention to all of these posts that are appearing on the Harry Potter subreddit where people are taking the first Harry Potter book and then editing the first page, photoshopping the first page of the book to all these different dialects that exist. I believe the first one, which was real, is the Scottish dialect. And I'll be honest, even though everything that has come from this has been funny, the Scottish one is so bizarre. And I know that it's that it's English, but the Scottish dialect of English is crazy. But there's all kinds of these. There's there's like a southern dialect where it's chapter one, the youngin that didn't kick the bucket. There's there's a, the pirate dialect version, which is the lad who lived, which is pretty simple. But there's uh, the Grunnings Drill Company dialect version of this, which is just called the boy who lived with drills. There's also uh, the Christmas version, the holly jolly boy who lived. And there's also the Gen Z version, which is a personal favorite of mine is just the boy who wasn't unalived <laughs> and people are taking the first page of the first chapter of Harry Potter, photoshopping it, adding in these different dialects and we are getting some really truly amazing results. So I know you guys have seen it. So I just wanted to ask if you guys had a favorite and also tell the people to get on Reddit and check these things out. It's, it's definitely worth five minutes of your time. Yeah, they're super good. Um, I really don't know what my favorite one was, but there was a version that said like the highly censored version or something along those lines. And the only words that were available were which made drills, which has been a consistent like line that stayed through every other version. I, It's important that that line has stayed, I think, because that gives you basically the only context for Vernon Dursley outside of him being a bully that you get in the whole series and, that that's the only thing that they're keeping similar between these. So yeah, uh, and in that censored version, it was actually argued in the top comment as well that witch made drills is too close to the word witch, oh and that no. that should have been censored as well. <laughs> Ooh, controversy. <laughs> uh, my favorite was the Gen Z one also, and uh, I just was reading it again as we were talking about it because I have it saved on my Reddit. But oh man, it's funny. Calls Mister Dursley dummy thick. With a <laughs> absolute C's, unit believe, right? of a mustache, yeah. yeah, three C's on the abs on the dummy thick, and then Mrs. Dursley was a total Karen with zero chill, so. and with like a long neck or something, right? And had a hella neck. Hella neck. <laughs> yeah, there it is. I, all of these are pretty awesome. I would agree that that Mrs. Dursley was a total Karen with hella neck. I would agree that Mr. Dursley had an absolute unit of a mustache. In fact, in the Southern dialect one, it says that. His mustache was so grand it would have earned him a commission in the Confederate Army. So, you know, it's just (laughs) we're talking about uh, this is why I love Reddit, because you see stuff like that, like this on there sometimes. And uh, it's just fun. You know, it's 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 good for a laugh when you need one. So I just wanted to call attention to that before we got started. Uh, And I guess with that, we can probably get started. Yeah. In our main discussion, we're only. What, 12, 13 minutes in now? and oh, that's Longer intro than normal, but... Yeah. Longer intro than normal, but important stuff. Very I important. Mean, our first people 
reaching us out, reaching out to us on our socials, some important stuff off of Reddit and, you know, it's just in general, a uh, good start to the episode. But as a reminder for everybody, we're here talking about the fan fiction written by Inverarity called Alexandra Quick and the Thorn Circle. Uh, it's the first in a series of what is currently five books, but is intended to be seven, as far as we know. And uh, we are, at this point, ten chapters in. We're on the tenth chapter, and we've just been going chapter by chapter, talking about what's in it, kind of reviewing the content of the chapter a little bit, and uh, having a generally just a kind of a good time and discussing this this other story set in the Harry Potter universe that the three of us uh, enjoy. Uh, Baylor, of course, is reading it for the first time, and so this discussion is his first time review of the chapter that we're reading, whereas Delbert and I I have read this several times, and so we're kind of the, the experts guiding Baylor through the story, if you will. Uh, and so uh, this chapter we're going to talk about is called Chicken. It's chapter 10. Last week we talked about chapter 9, which was called Troublesome, and just for a quick summary of what that was about, it was essentially... A lot of setup for the Ozarker twins to tell Alex that she's troublesome and that there's an actual person in Ozarker lore that they that's referred to as troublesome. And they kind of think that Alex might be this person. Uh, in fact, if you missed last week's episode, make sure you check it out for a wonderful reading of the troublesome uh, the troublesome discussion presented by by Delbert and Baylor. It was uh I know for me, I laughed when I was listening to it on the playback, but I know for you, Delbert, you said that it was horrifying to hear your own voice in that context. Yeah, I just binged a few of our former episodes, and when I got to that part, I had to take off my headset and just kind of laugh at myself a little bit before continuing on. It was definitely a... I had forgotten <laughs> that that was in there when I was editing the podcast, but um, I, I think we did a pretty good job for, like, what I presume is our first voice acting gig. I mean, I wouldn't hire you, but practice makes perfect, I suppose. Uh, at any rate, we are talking about chapter 10. It's called Chicken. And before we get into it too far, we need to do our three-sentence summary. So... I'm going to start, I think, this one, and then I don't really care who goes second and third, but I'll let you guys work that out kind of on the fly, and we're going to start it like this. The chapter begins with Alex describing or at least thinking about how detention at this wizarding school has been and how it hasn't been too bad. The students then head to practical magical exercise and... They try to move a statue and almost get in a fight. Soon after, the uneducated flyer Alexandra Quick pulls off a perfect Ronsky feint, but has to visit the dean as a result. There you go. And that's uh, that's three sentences. Of course, the chapter's a lot longer than three sentences, but of the summaries we've done so far, this might be the most inclusive one, like the most all-encompassing summary we've made, so... Well done, boys. I think the break that we had, the two-week previous break, maybe have refreshed our minds or our, our tongues on 
on summarizing such a long chapter in one sentence so perhaps even so scheduling when we were going to do this three times and prepping for it each time before eventually landing here that may have helped yeah the scheduling of this episode was kind of tough um (laughs) at any rate like i said we opened the chapter with alex it's not really alex describing it it's more of just kind of a description of her thoughts about the detention she's been in so far but it just says detention with mr journey turned out to not be so bad Really, aside from the fact that he continues to call her Starshine, which she, we of course know that she doesn't really like it that he does that. Um, but really what their detention seems to be is is sort of just supervising these clockwork golems cleaning up messes around the school, like small messes. Uh, and it's because they're not advanced enough to do complicated tasks, and it even says that Alex needs to direct them around small obstacles and things like that. So I guess my thoughts initially reading this is that this is a good effort to stop house elves from needing to do the work that they want to do, but it's if it's going to be effective, there needs to be a lot more work attached to it. Yeah, my immediate takeaway was comparing it to the first detention we see out of Hogwarts, which, you know, on one hand you have watching things clean, and on the other is catching the murderer of a unicorn. So a little bit different as far as detentions go. Uh, significantly different. In fact, I was thinking about that a little bit too, about how here we see what is actually a reasonable detention for 11-year-olds to be serving versus sending 11-year-olds off into the Forbidden Forest, a place where they know there's werewolves, they... They know that there's something murdering things. Giant spiders. And they say, you know what? You're going with Hagrid. He can only kind of do magic. You'll be fine. And not only that, but when they finally get there, Hagrid's like, all right, let's split up. <laughs> yeah. I, reading through this, I was incredibly sad because it means that my prediction was completely wrong from last chapter. So I have a bad feeling I might be getting my first muggle rating. <laughs> Um, one thing we do find out from this description, though, is uh, that they still have to like physically denome areas on their own because they don't use Jarvis anymore. And so I may stand corrected. There might be an actual use for a Jarvie, and it apparently it's because they denome things for you. You mean another additional use for Jarvis other than being the greatest pet ever and... Being the comedy of every situation. Yeah, something like that. Right. How do they do that? Do they, like, shame the gnome out of the hole? That was my thought, too. <laughs> I think they probably just swear at him until they pack up and leave. Like, or Jarvis eat gnomes. I That, oh, that was kind of what be. I thought mm. a little bit, which is weird and kind of problematic if that's the case, because gnomes are just, like, pint-sized intellectual beings yeah that was my question are gnomes intellectual in this universe like i mean it seems like they're because in D D, it seems kind World of warcraft and stuff they're like they're definitely an intelligent race of creatures i guess yeah like in the in the harry potter series when harry is denoming stuff i know that those gnomes can like bite you and and things like that and i don't think that they communicated in English but I guess I don't know for sure so maybe at any rate I'm more comfortable assuming the Jarvie just shames them into non-existence or something 
Went with more of the Disney Channel version of that. At the gnoming <laughs> is actually the only thing I remember from the only Harry Potter video game I ever played. I played, I think it was a Chambers of Secrets video game on, like, PlayStation 1 or something. That game was awesome, dude. And mm-hmm. there was a part where you're in, like, the Weasley's barn, like, shooting spells out, like, gophers jumping out of a hole or something. And that's the only thing I can remember yeah. from that game. You would, like, stun them with some kind of jinx or whatever. And then I remember you would pick them up and you would spin in circles and have to, like, stop the bar in the correct spot on the yeah. meter to throw the gnome the right direction. Yeah. That's the only part of that game I can remember. Yeah, I remember that, too. <laughs> Uh, so it goes on to talk about how Alex's detentions are made even more bearable by the fact that Anna Chu and uh, the Constance and Forbearance will stop by and some, sometimes talk with them until they get run off by a teacher. And so kind of overall at this point, the punishment kind of it seems to be fitting. You know, it's not too severe. They're not in danger. Um, it's more of just kind of a punishment that's almost used to waste their time time they could be spending with friends is instead spent watching these gnomes clean up some messes around the school it's probably interrupting homework time i'm i'm assuming as well just from my experience with the harry potter series it seemed like they had a ton of homework every night it seemed like so it does seem to be interrupting homework time a little bit and in fact uh by the time it says by the time alex gets back to her room every evening it's almost time for bed and while she can hear Darla and Angelique talking about wizard's chess or playing exploding snaps, uh, and that Anna has already finished her evening of studying, Alexandra is just able to get started then. But to her credit, it says that she's pretty much, she's more motivated than ever because she wants to learn about the magical world and she's desperate to get out of her remedial classes. And so she even says that her parents and her teachers back in the muggle world would be surprised at how much she's investing into her education here. It also helps because she says that she reads her textbooks for fun because they are as fun to read as the mythology books back home. So I'm sure that that helps her knowledge as well, obviously, because she's reading about it. I mean, imagine that uh, this is all real and your kids go to Charmbridge one day. And you find out that Harry Potter is not just a work of fiction. It's just a telling of the story. Be really interesting to read it then, right? It would be for sure. It would be. I mean, that's this is the something that I've always kind of complained about, about the Harry Potter universe in general is uh, like Harry and Ron, anytime they were given an assignment, they always complained about it. And it was like to write 10 inches about of parchment about something, which now that I'm older, I realize that that's less than the length of one sheet of paper and Harry grew up in the muggle world where none of this existed. Why wouldn't he want to study this stuff, you know? Because, yeah. I mean, even the stuff, like, I know in the original series, Professor Ben's history of magic is supposed to be really boring, but I feel like even if he's boring at teaching it, learning about the history and how this is impacted through the muggle history you already know would be so fascinating to read about. I know I've personally never thought about it that way because I've always like considered it on the same level as my social studies like from my schooling but i definitely think you guys are right like it would be way more interesting than muggle it would be totally different for someone like ron right who grew up knowing all of this stuff already but for anyone muggle born i mean you'd go in and you'd be like oh look at this charlemagne was a wizard (laughs) like it would just be interesting to see the differences between magical and non-magical history Mm -hmm. yeah i absolutely agree and so we we kind of see that in alex's attitude towards school right now she's approaching this 
in a way that I would think somebody who's brand new to the world would approach it, like with interest and with great reason to want to study hard. And so I, uh, I appreciated the way that she was approaching school that way. And so after, after it talks a little bit more about just how her teachers are also noticing that she's trying hard and how <laughs> Professor Grinder is continuing to complain about the patriarchy and how things are unfair. And she even calls the governor general an insufferable hidebound sexist pig, which again, it's fine if she feels that way. I don't have any problem with that whatsoever, but it is concerning to me that she is talking about this stuff in front of a class of 11 year olds. Uh, but that's kind of beside the point. After that, they go to practical magical exercise, which sounds like a very fun class to me. Yeah. I mean, they, they get to play games basically for what I would guess would be an hour or two hours. I mean, that's, I would, I know I personally would look forward to it every day. It's like PE, right? But instead of playing dodgeball or running laps around the gym or playing kickball, you get to fly on brooms and you get to throw stuff at each other that explodes and all this cool stuff. And so I just think that this sounds like a really fun class. This is definitely a class I would be interested in at this school. So, question for you guys, I guess. Would riding a broom be exercise? Because, like, riding a bike, obviously, you're still moving your legs. Running, you're using your whole body. Riding a broom, you're only shifting weight, right? Like, it would be more like a horse than doing anything actually active. It might even be less than riding a horse. And when you're riding a horse, you get get beat beat up pretty good. But I guess my thoughts surrounding that would be more so that... uh, the brooms probably have some magical capabilities built in to make yeah. the ride a little bit easier. Okay, because like when we look at Quidditch players that are portrayed as well, I mean, they always seem to be physically fit to some extent. So I'm curious if they're out doing muggle exercise in addition to what they do on the broom. It seems like, obviously I don't know, cause <laughs> but uh, like most of their exercises would be trying to keep their focus during a match, I guess, because you you wouldn't know like how long your match is going to last, I guess. And especially because they play in all different kinds of weather. And from my experience from the real world, like even the most mundane sports where that is kind of the key, people still are exercise, like strength exercising and, and conditioning and all that stuff. So I feel like maybe that aids their concentration. I don't know. Yeah. Cause my thought when you read the, uh, class it's practical magic exercise and then they hop on a broom and fly around yeah. so i was like is it yeah. really exercise i mean maybe exercise more so in the vein that they're exercising their magical ability right Ooh. not necessarily their body i hadn't thought about that um glad we got onto the train of quidditch because two two games that they mentioned specifically are quidditch which david wants to try out for quidditch and everybody's like, why would you want to try out for Quidditch? That sounds really boring. Why don't you just play Quad Pot? Which we get a little more information here, and that's that Quad Pot is a game played with an exploding ball. It's like essentially a cross between the Quaffle and a Bludger, and it explodes for some reason. And that seems to be the game that everybody else thinks is more exciting. And so I think... Now that we're here at this part where we're talking about Quidditch and Quad Pot, I want to stop and I want to dive in and get a little extra credit going on. So uh, 
Baylor, take it away. Yeah, today's extra credit, uh, like I've kind of hinted at on the Discord, and I know we've talked about it before the episode, obviously, uh, is going to focus on the broom games that we see here in this chapter, which are, like you said, Quidditch and Quadpot. Um, I'll start with Quidditch just because it's the one everyone is probably most familiar with, but I have, do have some history uh, and a short rundown of how the game works. Uh, the idea of the game is to get the most points by the end of a match. Uh, it is played on broomsticks flying through the air on a pitch. A pitch is laid out using lines and has three hoops on each end. The match ends when the golden snitch is caught. This awards 150 points to the catcher's team. The catcher is known as a seeker. And then commonly the team that catches the snitch almost always wins. Unless your name is Victor Crumb. Uh, another way to score, the, score points is to throw the quaffle, which is what I would imagine probably is like a softball or a basketball kind of sized ball. Uh, through the hoops, and this awards 10 points to the scorer's team. These hoops are defended by a keeper or a goalie, um, and the scorers are known as chasers. Uh, It is called the most dangerous sport in the wizarding world uh, because players known as beaters bat magical balls at the opponents that are charmed to target and chase players. And from our experience in the Harry Potter series, it appears they hurt a lot and break a lot of bones when they hit people. Uh, So, uh, let's see. So yeah, that's kind of Quidditch in a nutshell. Um, anything you guys want to add to that history or short rundown of Quidditch? Um, I guess my opinion of Quidditch is that it's not a very well thought out game. Agreed. I <laughs> I think if you're gonna have a game where one portion of it is so significantly more impactful than the rest, then get rid of the rest and just make it a one on one game between two people on fast rooms to see who can catch a snitch first. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty ridiculous that throughout all the Harry Potter stuff we've seen, there's only one game that we actually witness, being the Quidditch World Cup, where at any point, catching the snitch would have resulted in a loss. It It's just worth so many points. 15 goals have to go by the keeper to even amount to one catch of the snitch. And that's without being scored on a single time. Like it's extremely unbalanced. It needs a uh, it needs a nice update, a new software update to the <laughs> rules and the scoring. Just put a just put a time limit on the game, and that way, if the snitch isn't caught, then what the what the chasers did actually mattered. You time know? limit's not a bad idea. I was thinking reduce the snitch to fifty points. Even maybe that, 30. something needs to change in Quidditch. Because even then, like let's say you're down by sixty points, so you don't want to catch a snitch. You can play like a zone uh, defense or what do they call it in basketball? Um, zone defense. Zone defense. Yeah. Oh, is that what they call yeah. it? Are they like box? Oh, box out. A boxing you, out. You can yeah. box out the other seeker. Just try to like keep the snitch away until your team scores again. Well, that's one thing I always was curious about with Quidditch is because. If I read, when I was researching this, if I read it correctly, you really can't do anything to the opposing seeker. Like, they can't hit a bludger at them, I don't believe. They can't, you know, target them with anything else. And so, it it doesn't make any sense because you basically have no defense against the seeker other than the other seeker being on what is probably the same level of broom if, it, if this is a professional Quidditch match. Also, so. I don't know if this is the rule or not, but I assume because of the golden snitch that if a team were to tie, the win the tie would go to the golden snitch catcher. That should be the opposite if it's not. 
in the current stage. It is so much harder to score 15 additional goals than to catch the snitch. I think I agree with that for sure. Yeah. It is definitely a strange game that I... I'm sure we could talk about it for for hours, probably. I would much rather grow a giant maze and have some sort of yearly event instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that does sound a little bit more dangerous to me. But uh, So, okay, so now we talked about Quidditch, which is commonly played in Europe. USA's version, of course, is a variation of it, and that is what is called Quad Pot. And some history on Quad Pot. It was invented by accident when an Englishman, Abraham Peasgood, accidentally made contact with a quaffle with his wand, which resulted in the ball exploding upon throwing it around. Him and his friends continued replicating this, and this is how Quad Pot was born. <laughs> uh, cool. Centered around the explosive properties of the ball, known as the quad, instead of the quaffle, it's the quad. A game of Quad Pot is played between two teams with 11 players each. The players attempt to get the quad into the pot at the end of the pitch before it explodes. When the quad is safely in the pot, which contains a solution to stop the quad from exploding, the scorer's team gets a point and a new quad is brought into play. Any player in possession of the quad when it explodes must leave the the field of play. Um, I could not really find anything on the interweb that told me when a quad pot game ended. Maybe it's when all of your players went off the field. I'm not totally sure. But... um, it also seems like there's not a golden snitch involved in this game, so it just seems like it's a, a game of hot potato. <laughs> Dude. I don't know. It seems pretty cool to me. Quad pot. More fun to say and more fun to play, I think. Here's my take. I think it's more fun to say, not more fun to play, more fun to watch. I could not imagine. What are they? Are they still on brooms in quad pot? Yeah. Yep. So imagine flying through the air 100 feet up, and you're carrying something the entire time, that might just explode. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, surely we're not trying to cycle through like hundreds of quad pot players a year. This has got to I mean, be an, an explosion in vanity only, right? Yeah, well, I'm also curious, like, what do you have to do to get the quad off someone? Like, with the quaffle, you can intercept a pass. You can throw a bludger at someone or mm-hmm. beat a budger, bludger at someone. In this, do you just knock them off their broom? Like, It's a good question. You know, 11 players per side... You've got a place you're trying to take the ball to. This sounds similar enough to football for me to say that this is a full-contact broom sport. It's similar enough to the point where I'm surprised they didn't just also call it Quidditch, and then everyone <laughs> else has to call it American Quidditch. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it's definitely interesting. I mean, it's cool. I think as far as how the game ends, I would agree that it's probably when your last player is knocked out of the game because otherwise – when you're on defense, quote unquote defense, if it could explode and knock you out of the game, you're probably not trying to take the ball. You're probably just trying to prevent them from putting it in the place until it explodes, right? See, I would think it's more either time based or there's like a score cap for each game. Sure. I mean, again, a time limit solves all these problems. Right. So. Mm-hmm. That's fun. Yeah. I, I would be it. terrified to play that. I, I would be the guy that, like, just pretends that I'm running up and down the field to help, but never actually take the ball. No chance. Now that person has a role usually too. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You'd be the guy who fouls out. Yeah. I, I would just <laughs> aim for other broom guys, other flyers. Be like, oh, that works. Take this guy out. I'm the enforcer. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, that works. I'm sure. Yeah. Like Brady said, there's a position for everybody. Um, <laughs> 
So now let's discuss some things, because why not? This is extra credit, and that's what extra credit is. And luckily for us, we were able... I was I put out a survey on uh, the Discord, the AQ Discord, and asked them the same question. So we're going to get some feedback from you guys and from the fans, in, uh, to be specific, five fans uh, from the AQ Discord. Excellent. Yeah. Woo. Shout out to those five fans. Um, okay, so the first question... Why do you guys think that such dangerous games are so prevalent in the wizarding world? Magic is why. I, I think that that's got to be the answer. If danger is not as much of a concern, we established that, I think, either last episode or a couple episodes ago, that because magic exists, we can just do more dangerous things and then fix it, you know? Well, the other thing, too, is, like, Sure, they're dangerous in the magical world, but there's a lot of sports that are also dangerous in the muggle world. I mean, football is dangerous. NASCAR, Formula One is dangerous. Um, 2,000 years ago or however long ago in Rome, they had gladiator fights that was for sport where people were literally just killing each other. Like, sports have always had a level of danger to them. Um, but I think Brady's hitting it right on the head with having the ability to do magic you know, if you try to do a gladiator versus a magician or a wizard, there's not going to be much contest. So you have to elevate the level of danger in sports. Yeah, and witches and wizards are humans, right? And something we know about humans in general is that if it can be done, somebody's going to do it. You know, we had a person jump out of a airplane like 120,000 feet in the air just because they wanted to say they sky like they went on a skydiving mission from space, and so. I think that also plays into it. Like, we have brooms that can fly. What can we do with those brooms? Yeah, another example of that is actually a place we're all familiar with, Simi Valley, California. They had a guy jump out of a plane at 30,000 feet without a parachute and land in a net that Mm -hmm. was just on the ground. Like, it's insane to think of anyone doing that, but they'll do that. Right, and if you add magic to the equation, you can prevent a lot of the things that might go wrong. Yeah, I kind of had down that I think it's because wizards are arrogant to the things that muggles would commonly think of as dangerous. And I think it kind of points to the magic. Like, they can just fix problems, you know, way quicker, like injuries. And that's kind of how the community also reacted, Um, you know, because magical medicine has progressed to a point where most injuries are trivial, uh, because magic and and the ability to heal injuries is really easy and fast, so... That's I mean, a that's a point I hadn't even considered. I yeah. mean, Lockhart just removes all of Harry's bones, and they're like, <laughs> ah, it's going to be painful, but no problem. Yeah, I, I think the idea is the other way around. <laughs> just, like, healing stuff is really quick. Right. But, I mean, I just think, you know, the life-threatening injuries to us aren't as life-threatening to them. I agree. I mean, in general, that seems to be the consensus. Yeah. All right, so given that we know so little about quad pot, I know you guys kind of mentioned this before, but do you guys think that a quad exploding is dangerous for the players? Like, does it do damage to them? I don't think it can be. I don't think the game survives if you have to have, like, a roster of 200 reserves just in case. It's an interesting question, because I'm sure it's not pleasant, but I also don't think it's, like, a life-threatening injury would be how it would have to be designed, because... Even with magic in this scenario, like, something blowing up in close proximity to you would still be hard to stop from causing bodily harm. I just think there's something involved that's causing the explosion to happen with none of the negative consequences of a typical explosion. You know, it's it 
it's probably a visual thing more so than a physical thing. Yeah, up on the on the survey that I sent out, I put a scale from one to ten, and basically it was uh, doesn't hurt at all, doesn't do anything, and ten was they are dead basically, and kind of the general consensus was around three or four. So my take on that is it doesn't really do any you know uh, threatening damage to them. It just maybe hurts a little bit. I feel like maybe a little a bit of danger to the player, like oh wow, this is gonna hurt if it if it blows up in my hands might increase the fun of the game. It might add some motivation yeah. for the player to yeah. get that quad into the pot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a scary situation regardless, especially being up, up high on a broom. We also don't know what kind of uniform these people are wearing, so whatever they're wearing could also help mitigate the damage a little True. bit. Maybe they're wearing yeah. full suits of armor. Dragon hide. True. Oh, there you go. So uh, if given a choice, what game would you guys play, Quidditch or Quad Pot? I would play Quad, quad Pot. I think it's more fun to say and more fun to play, like I said earlier. I think I'm going to stick with Quidditch, and to enhance the level of danger in the game, I think I'll be a beater. Hmm, interesting. Nice. Um, four out of the five said Quidditch on the survey. Ooh, so nice. In the majority. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they know more about Quadpot than I do, because they've read all the books, maybe. I don't know. But... It seems like the community is straying away from Quadpot, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, finally, the final question today. Uh, given that Americans are particular when it comes to their favorite model and brand of anything, for example, cars, what broom would you guys choose as your go-to for either broom sport? And I sent you guys a list uh, just to remind you that had like Nimbus 2000, Nimbus 2001, Firebolt, Comet 290, Clean Sweep, etc. on it. I mean, the easy answer is to just take the Firebolt, like incredible speed, incredible maneuverability. But I can't afford that. I'm going with a Clean Sweep. <laughs> School issued or privately owned? You know, if the school's going to give me one, I'm not going to go out of my way to buy another one. I Sorry, sorry, Brady. I didn't mean to cut you off. But That's no problem. My thought was like, uh, I'm I'm really big into flight simulator right now, and my thought is a school issued broom is is like flying a Cessna with no trim. So you have to like keep like, you know, altering your course. It uh -huh. doesn't just fly by itself. Fred but. and George actually said that that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. That the, the brooms just kind of do whatever they want. Yeah. Uh, I didn't understand the assignment. Oh. To be honest, I didn't realize we were picking a broom specifically for one of the sports. Well, it just so just, I just whatever. went with a broom I would choose to have in my everyday yeah. life instead, and I went with a broom called the Blue Bottle, which is designed for family and traveling. And hmm. I like to travel. I'm not really an athlete at this point in my life. Uh, to be honest, given the choice between playing Quidditch or going traveling, I would pick traveling every time. So I wanted a broom that was comfortable and easy to. Uh, to travel on and also one of the benefits of this is that it comes with an anti-burglar buzzer and you know if somebody's going to steal my broom i want to know about it so that's my answer i'm going with the blue bottle so is it one broom that fits multiple people it says the blue bottle a broom for all the family safe reliable and with built-in anti-burglar buzzer so here's my question. Do you think it's like a side-by-side -side where there's like just multiple seats and you can sit there and talk amongst yourselves? Or is it like one of those family bikes where they're like 40 feet long and everyone's pedaling at the same speed? Well, the picture that's on here is 
of a one person on a broom with a baby in a backpack. What? So, <laughs> so it's hard to answer that question. But Firebolt, I'm, another family broom. I'm envisioning myself sitting on it and then the children in the family hanging from below the broom <laughs> with their with their arms like they're on monkey bars. Oh no. Nice. Maybe you just with your wand out levy corpusing some people around just alongside you. Yeah, exactly. I, anything that as long as my comfort's maximized, I don't care about the rest of it. <laughs> right. I mean, it, you know, if that's the case then like like Delver said any broom could become a family broom. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, guys, thanks for uh just take the flying car at this point. What was the uh communities? Oh, true. Response to that, I'm curious. That. I have a strong guess. Is it going to be Firebolt? That's my guess. Yeah, 80, 80% of the five said Firebolt. Oh, okay. Um, one person said the Nimbus 2001, so Ooh. shout out to them. Nice. That I will say that. Um, Who bought the 2001? Was that Malfoy? That was Lucius Malfoy. Bought okay. them for the whole team. Who who bought Harry his brooms? I know Sirius bought one. Well, the first one, you don't really find out who bought it, but it was, but it was probably right? McGonagall or Dumbledore. Okay. Yeah. And then and Sirius the bought the Firebolt, and according to this list, I'm just looking at it now, there's a new version of the Firebolt called Firebolt Supreme. There's mm-hmm. my new answer, Baylor. Well, there's also the Firebolt Supreme and a one that's a direct competitor to it called the Thunderbolt uh, 7, if my Roman numerals are correct. Okay, well, that's just lazy on that I part. I prefer Fireball. As a uh, D&D spell, so I'm going to take the Firebolt. Yeah. Okay, cool. Apparently the Nigerian national Quidditch team rode the Thunderbolt 7s for their 2014 Quidditch World Cup victory. Oh, oh well, there you go. Oh, I mean, that's some good marketing. It is. Row that in which weekly? Maybe it wasn't the uh, championship, but they, they still uh, rode the okay, well, World <laughs> Cup. But you know, it's a little different if we're good. saying they won one match. Yeah, but yeah. I'm going to envision that they won the whole shebang. Tell me, what did the sure. uh, Yankees of the Wizarding World ride? The Americans? Yeah, sure. Are they the ones who always win? I don't know. I doubt it. No, I... What did the Bulgarians use in the most recent World Cup? I think they were on Firebolts. I'm pretty sure that they were all there on we Firebolts, go. so... um, <laughs> With that, is that the end of Extra Credit? Yeah. For now? We're going to... Continue moving. Thanks for that extra credit, though. That was a great discussion, actually. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. I agree. It's always um, fun doing a deep dive in little pieces like that. It is, and we can get the community involved as well, which I like. So uh, after they talk about Quidditch and Quad Pot, uh, and David says he wants to try out for it, and Alex isn't really that interested until she finds out that the quad explodes, uh, Alex basically declares that she's going to be out of remedial masses remedial classes as soon as possible and everybody kind of says yeah says who and she basically says well says me if i retook the spawn right now i guarantee i would not have remedial classes and she decides she's gonna go ask the dean which makes everybody a little tense because they know that the dean is not very happy with alex right now and she does not care she says well i'm not afraid of miss grim and anna says everybody's afraid of miss grim and Alex says, yeah, well, I'm not, so here we go again. That's all I can think when I read this the first time is, here we go again. What's going to happen now? Alex continues to impress me with how much she tests the limits. I mean, if if I were in this case, I would be stressed constantly if I were her friend. Yeah, it was like when I was listening to the podcast from episode two or three just yesterday, and I said, 
you would have a better chance of Alex not going to the pond if you told her to go there. Like, she is just going to do the opposite of whatever anyone says. That's exactly right. She's just bold and hard-headed and thinks she can do anything she wants to. Um, And so, before she can do that, though, of course, it's the end of the day. So, she goes back to her room, uh, and we find out that Charlie has taken Alex's locket and will not give it back to her. No matter how much she asks, she even stops being angry and says, look, I really want my locket back, Charlie. It's one thing for you to play with it, but it's important to me and you shouldn't be stealing from me. And he just makes a sound at her like, yeah, so what? I don't care. I I took the locket. So be it. And she just kind of has to go to bed disappointed in that. And so, again, Charlie likes the locket. Alex likes the locket. Is there something connecting Alex and Charlie more than the fact that she just bought him at this shop. You know, that's what it makes me think. It seems like there's there's got to be something because I don't, I guess I don't know how an animal thinks, obviously, but Alex is like keeping Charlie away from the locket enough where I don't think that he would be a, this attached to it in this short amount of time. Like for for example, like a dog with a fetch toy or something like that. So I, there's got to be something there, in my opinion. <laughs> it's definitely, again, it just keeps coming up, so it means we're going to find out something about it later on, I believe. Uh, the next day, Alex wakes up. She goes to her classes, and she's like surprisingly diligent and hardworking and listening in class. Even Mr. Grew, the guy who, upon first meeting her, didn't treat her very well, can't find any fault with her behavior, which is uh, pretty cool. Right. I mean, she's obviously trying to be on her best behavior to get out of remedial classes. And so it's nice that she's putting that into practice. And then she goes to Miss Shirtlife's class or Miss Shirtliff. I can't remember which one we decided, but. Well, it's actually practical, magical exercise, but Miss Shirtliff is just. Oh, sure. Stepping in yeah. for it. Yeah. Miss Shirtliff is there. And Instead of the bulbous guy from last episode. She tasks. <laughs> she tasks all the kids with moving this giant statue. Two things of note here, I think, uh, just to kind of be brief with it is, first of all, Constance and Forbearance step up together and do some Ozarker magic together and get the statue to move a little bit, which is impressive in itself because nobody else has gotten it to move. And also kind of impressive on Shirtlift's part because she lets them work together. She doesn't restrict them, you know, she just wants them to test their abilities, and that's pretty cool. Uh, she even chastises somebody else for getting upset about the fact that Constance and Forbearance were working together. She says, it's none of your business. They got it to move. That's cool. Right? And that someone is Larry Albo, who then has to try his hand at moving the statue. And if he was a better wizard, he'd probably be dead in his attempt. That's basically it. Yeah, if he was more powerful, he probably would be dead because he tries to summon the statue to him. And it does move a little bit, but not enough to uh, fall on him, though he is warned by Shirtliff. Like, hey, you should think that through next time. There's a reason we don't teach that spell to people your age. Yeah. One thing I wanted to mention about Constance and Forbearance, it just is interesting to me, given my experience at a American school, is that typically they don't let groups of people stay together for very long. Like, they're always, like, splitting them up you know, go with this partner or 
stuff like that. And I, I obviously that's to like build your, you know, get rid of your reliance on other people, I guess, like your friends, you know, make you, goodness gracious, take you out of your comfort zone, that kind of thing. And I just think it's interesting that they aren't doing that with Constance and Forbearance. Presumably they're in all the same classes. They're always hanging out together. They're always doing this work together. I don't know if there's lab partners in potions, but I'm guessing they probably are their lab partners together. I just thought that that was interesting, that that a very American thing <laughs> didn't happen here <laughs> of, like, splitting people up. That is interesting, but, you know, they they work together well, and so I think that we're kind of seeing the product of that. In fact, they work together so well that even the rash boys, the older Ozarkers, can't move the statue as well as them, which has got to feel good for Constance and Forbearance, I would think. Uh, Alex takes her turn, and she also can move the statue, but once again, she does it through doggerel verse, through her rhyming magic. People laugh at her. Miss Shirtliff doesn't get upset with her for using this magic necessarily, uh, but she does warn her, like, hey, you got to stop doing this kind of because in the future it's not going to be that useful to you. Um, I guess what I'm wondering about this is, is that a little bit of foreshadowing? Do we think it's just Shirtliff like giving a warning like, hey, this doesn't work forever? Or is there something deeper to that? Because this is like the fourth or fifth time somebody has said that to Alex. My guess would be it's just a, a less efficient way to do things. Like they have spell names that work. They have casting, you know, jigs that work, you know, that that kind of stuff. And so my thought is it's just, Doggerel verse is kind of the more unrefined version of magic. Yeah, I would say the biggest thing is there's probably a much higher probability of something going wrong in your spell cast doing it this way compared to using the correct incantation. Sure. Well, she she even says, you know, like doggerel verse is often used by children and the uneducated, and there's a reason why magic is standardized because you know, something can go wrong or the rhyme that you're trying to get to work won't work, that kind of thing. Um, one thing I did want to talk about just real briefly, I'm re-listening to the Harry Potter series on Audible, which is something I do probably once a year. And uh, we actually see when Harry is riding on the train going to Hogwarts, Ron actually does doggerel verse in that first book, which I had never picked up on that that was some weird thing until reading this fan fiction. So I thought I just thought that was cool. I actually listened to that on the way over, walking over here. So Yeah, fun thought on that. Do you think the spell just doesn't work because it wasn't a rat? Or do you think it's just not a real spell? Mm. That's interesting because uh, if it's doggerel verse, there's nothing saying it shouldn't work according to what we're reading now. Yeah. And Scabbers was not a true rat, so it's hard to say. <laughs> yeah, after... All this happens in uh, practical magical exercise. Alex and the rest of the kids leave and to head back to their dorms, but Alex doesn't go there. Instead, she heads straight to Dean Grimm's office. And when she gets there, uh, Miss Marmsley is taken aback by her, saying, why are you already back here? Are you in trouble again? And Alex says, no, of course not. I want to see Dean Grimm. And, of course, she's rebuked and says and is told, you can't just walk, waltz in here and see the dean. She's busy. And also, she's not even the dean of your grade. There's a dean for sixth graders. And so Alex does something mature, right? She doesn't get impatient. She doesn't get angry. She says, 
okay, then can I make an appointment with that person instead? And she does. And that's kind of the end of that little story arc, at least for the moment, right? That's It's just a quick interaction where Alex conducts herself appropriately and doesn't get in trouble. Well, I think even the the portrait, uh, what's her name again? Miss Marmalade? Miss Marmsley. Mar- Marmalade. <laughs> Marmalade. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> well, anyways, Miss Marmsley, I think, is even surprised that Alex is acting so mature when she asked to make an appointment. I think she's taken aback, which is kind of interesting well i mean we all are kind of based on how she's been acting so far well i also like her response too. like she says you want to see dean grimm but it's italicized so she's like you want to see dean grimm like yeah i i did doubt very many people ask to see dean grimm certainly not students yeah after that alex goes back to her dorm and charlie's there and so is her locket so she recovers her locket that's i mean makes her feel good but we don't find anything else out about it, really. So, small question. His cage has been open, and I assume the window is also open. So, was the locket just out in the woods? Is that why he, like, wouldn't give it back the first time? Like, is he taking the locket with him when he flies out and hiding it somewhere? It's a good question, because if it's not in the cage, it's got to be somewhere. And right. you would think that if it was on his person at the time, she would have given see it. it up. Yeah, right? exactly. But And now this time he's giving it up immediately, which makes me think... Maybe he had taken the locket and went and hid it somewhere else. Yeah. My experience with birds points tells me that he probably has some roosting spot out on the grounds, especially because ravens are incredibly smart. So maybe that's where it was hidden or something. Right. But it also, I mean, he definitely didn't have it on his body because unless he does have the pouch that you talked about a couple episodes yeah. back. Or that, if he was like sitting on it, right? Yeah, like, true, true. So after that happens that interaction happens alex has to go back to detention again and this time her clockwork golems aren't cleaning as well as they have been in the past and essentially what this whole scene of detention boils down to is alex is convinced that somebody has messed with her clockwork golems and she accuses larry albo and the rash twins of this because they walk past her after they're already finished kind of like cackling at the fact that her clockwork golems are not uh, not being as efficient as they should be. And so she makes a point to, to let them know, or to let Mr. Journey know, and then to let Anna know that she thinks that it's them doing it. And they both kind of rebuke her a little bit and say, they're not, there's no way they have enough magical experience to to do that to the clockwork golems. I thought it was funny because when she tells Ben Journey this, he kind of, in my opinion, acted like an older muggle person. That's what I wrote down. <laughs> because he says that people his age don't understand how the clockwork golems work because they are awfully complicated. And it kind of made me think, like, maybe Larry and the Rashtrans did do something to them because they are younger and they're able, given what I know about younger people like myself, we are a little bit more technically or technologic, technologically uh, savvy, so maybe they were able to sabotage them in some way. Yeah, I mean, at this moment, we don't know, but we find out a little bit later on. So, uh, I guess the next day is a Sunday, and Alex spends that day in the library, at least the first part of that day, 
researching about clockwork golems, actually. So she's still on this kind of kick about somebody messed with her clockwork golems. And then she goes back to detention that night. And it's kind of made obvious to the reader here that it's Larry who's messing with Alex's stuff. Because when she gets there, he just looks at her and very pointedly says, you know, the sixth grade hallway is looking kind of dirty. And then uh, Benjamin Rash says, I wonder if they're as muddy as the, the kitchen floor. And so we sort of assume that it's those two that are messing with her again, right? Sort of, but did you catch the double meaning as well there? No. Oh, muddy? Mudblood? Oh, yeah, I okay. And that's what's being construed there? That does make a lot of sense now that you've said that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now that you've explained that. I also thought it was because they were messing with the golems, but yeah, that, that yeah, does Yeah, I mean, fit. it being David and Alex, two muggleborns, I think that uh, verbiage is definitely intended. Yeah, probably. And so... Then Mr. Uh, Mr. Journey, Ben Journey, he walks up and actually he's been doing a little bit of work on the side trying to figure out what was wrong with her golems as well because he lets everybody know that they've all been given new cleaning supplies. And so the implication is that it wasn't the golems that were being messed with. It was the actual cleaning supplies that had been messed with instead, which is pretty smart on the the part of the older boys, but it's also... Nice to see that Mr. Journey took Alex seriously and and kind of helped her solve the problem a little bit. Yeah, and we also passed it over just a little bit, but Anna came up with that conclusion the night before. So once again, we just get to see Anna figure out the issue with very little effort from afar. So just keep building towards her being the intelligent one out of the group. Another cool thing with Ben Journey was the night before, when her golems were taking a long time, Ben Journey actually showed up and said, why don't you go ahead and go, I'll I'll get this cleaned up, finished cleaned up, you, know, you don't need to stay here all night. Which I thought was really cool, but that also kind of probably gave him an opportunity to see if, you know, the golems were messed with or the cleaning supplies were messed with or whatever. Yeah, it does seem like maybe he investigated it right there, which is, which is great. And it, what you would expect from a teacher when something is clearly going wrong. Uh, so after... That detention, everything's taken care of, it seems like. The next morning, Monday morning, Alex quickly eats her breakfast and then heads to her appointment with the dean of the sixth grade. Her name is Dean Price. And Alex sits down and says, I want to retake the spawn. And Dean Price is pretty taken aback by this. Essentially telling Alex, like, look, remedial classes are not a punishment. They're to help you and you're not taking retaking the spawn. You're in those classes for a reason. And here we see Alex lose her temper a little bit, but keeps it under control kind of because Dean Price threatens her with more detention and Alex kind of cools down and backs off after that. Yeah, smart move by her, but I also want to point out that we aren't seeing it to the same extent as the original series, but there's some pretty incompetent adults like governing this school as well. Because it feels as if, like, Alex is in the right here as far as she never had a study guide. She never knew any of this stuff. And even though she seems to be excelling in her classes, there's no way out for the entire term. So, I mean, I kind of side with her there that, I mean, she should have been given something to give her a chance before she actually took the exam. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's kind of been 
one of my biggest gripes with the whole thing is like why didn't she get a study guide but i do think it's cool of dean price because she says you may retake the spawn after the holidays and then you know we'll go from there which i think that's a fair offer like she just be in the Romino classes for one semester and then go from there kind of thing yeah it's i can see why alex would be frustrated for sure but we also don't have any evidence that she's actually demonstrated any sort of mastery yet other than her own word and so I can also see the adult's point of view, like, you're in those classes for a reason. You're going to stay there till we let you out. So I see it both ways. Uh, I think the more important thing here is that Alex was so confident she was going to get her way, and then she didn't, and that's like a lesson learned for her, I think, is that that's mm-hmm. not going to fly at the school the way you think it's going to. At least we hope it's a lesson learned. I guess we'll see. <laughs> right. And so this whole time... Alex has, of course, been in detention, so she goes back to detention again, and instead of letting bygones be bygones, she goes ahead and gets her own revenge against Larry Albo and the, the Rash twins by using some doggerel verse to enchant their clockwork golems to attack them, essentially, like through cleaning. It's kind of what she does probably not the best way to get revenge because she she puts other students in danger unnecessarily yeah well this is also another example of where i think doggerel verse could go very wrong depending on how you word it or however the magic's construed um because i mean it's basically telling them to uh sponge them broom them mop them until they're begging to stop what happens if they go unconscious and don't beg do the clockworks just kill them like yeah (laughs) it's definitely hard to know how to interpret what was going on right um I guess not necessarily how to interpret what was going on, but it would be hard maybe for the clockwork gnomes to know what was enough in that instance. There's no hard boundaries set by the doggerel verse. Well, absolutely. And just the, obviously this was implied that this was going to happen after she thought Larry had done something to her clockwork golems, but it just, it's so, it's so Alex quick here because this is her final detention, I believe, of the two-week detention period. And she goes and does this, which, I mean, obviously is putting her at, at what I would think is much greater risk than just a detention. So definitely not the smartest choice in this situation, I don't think. Yeah. And as far as we know, I believe it works out for her. I mean, it. She, the intended thing happens with her spell and... Larry and the Mordecai, or sorry, Larry and the Rash twins are not happy mm-hmm. as well. I mean, they report it to Mr. Journey, and he kind of brushes it off a little bit, which is different than the way he reacted to when Alex said somebody had messed with her stuff. Uh, but that's kind of the end of it as far as detention goes. We We get sent off with Larry calling... Alex a mudblood once again and then Alex responding by saying you better watch that dirty mouth or it might get washed out with soap and they kind of go their separate ways yeah. which we just have it's just a school a schoolyard rivalry here mm-hmm. I mean it, they're both going to keep escalating it feels like there's definitely not been any backing off on either side well especially because it's obvious that they assume that Alex had done this to them even though they didn't say anything to Ben Journey um, 
obviously they reported the incident, but they didn't say, yeah, we think Alex did this, but just their conversations uh, after they left definitely pointed that, oh, yeah, we know it was you. We're going to get even, basically. But I, before we moved on, I wanted to just say one more quick thing that Ben Journey said I thought was cool, and it just was that wizard and witches need to be unified and that the last thing the wizarding world needs is more division. I just thought, I know that this was written back in 2007 or 2009, but I think that's pretty, uh, like a, a real life takeaway right now in the current world. So I just thought that that was a neat, neat thing that I read. It's appropriate, I think, for sure. Um, Alex goes back to her dorm after all this happens. Her and Anna get into a bit of a fight where Alex accuses her of never taking risks and not getting anything accomplished, which hurts Anna's feelings, which in turn hurts Alex's feelings. She feels bad for what she said. Uh, but then it's the next day. It's a pretty quick exchange. And so it's nice to see that Alex considers Anna close enough that she would feel bad for saying something mean to her. But uh, we still aren't seeing Alex think about the things she's saying to people, even the ones that she cares about necessarily. And the next morning, Anna still wasn't speaking to Alex, which is probably fair because of the exchange they had the night before. And we kind of, we go back to class, people talk a little bit, but then they go back out to practical magical exercise, which is being ran by Miss Shirtliff again. And we get into another altercation between Alex and Larry. Yeah. And this one was definitely a fun one because they were, they were writing brooms for the first time in the class. Uh, the entire book, and they all were excited and whatever. And, you know, then Alex decides, oh, I'm going to take matters in my own hands and try to Ronsky faint Larry without even, you know, realizing that's what she was doing. But, yeah, I, my 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 take of this is that she's probably not being sent to the dean's office to have an open invitation to join the Quidditch team, is my, my guess. Most likely not. We what we get is essentially a big chase scene between Alex and Larry where he chases her all over the place. She flies places she's not supposed to go. She interrupts Quidditch practice. She does some dangerous things that it's kind of hard to to think that she could even know how to do this at this point in her magical career. Uh, but basically, it's just a big game of chicken, which is why the, the chapter's called Chicken, right? Is because of this, where Alex is taunting Larry Albo and uh, essentially establishing herself as the top dog in this little group of characters that we've got so far because she's doing things that even Larry is scared to do. In fact, he at one point says, if you keep going, you're going to get us killed, which is uh, probably not the goal for either one of them. But uh, I did think that line was kind of funny where he he says, you're going to get us killed because he says, you're going to get us killed or expelled, which I is probably a callback to the original series, right? Yeah, I've never heard of that ever. You know, and so <laughs> so we have this big game of chicken essentially uh where Alex finally zooms towards the ground until Larry gives up essentially and then she gets in trouble with Miss Shirtlife, right? With yeah. Miss Shirtlift. She Shirtlift pulls her and Larry and sends them to the dean's office and like you said Baylor's probably not for good reasons. Yeah, and it seems to be a pretty exciting scene. Um, what I basically picture in my mind is this uh, open area here between the buildings. 
I just imagine that there's a group of Quidditch players, a group of quad pot players, and then also this little group outside just hanging around learning to fly. And they're just racing through all sets of it, going up and down, having bludgers chase them. I mean, it sounds super exciting, but it also shows pretty good flying for someone who's never really had that experience before. It really does. I Like, we see that from Harry Potter in the original series, too. His first time on a broom, he shows enough skill to get McGonagall to assign him to be on the Quidditch team instead of getting mad at him for breaking the rules. And so maybe it has something to do with magical power, how well you can fly a broom. Uh, but it also makes for a fun, exciting scene as well. Yeah, I mean, a little bit of a change in attitude from Alex, and book two could have been called Alexander Quick, the 13-year-old professional chaser. <laughs> uh, and with that, they get sent to the dean's office, and that's where the chapter ends. That's the last three words of the chapter is dean's office now from Miss Shirtliff. And so very exciting to – I'm just excited to read the – the reaming that Dean Graham is going to give these two. Do we know how far into the year we are so far? I assume Halloween hasn't happened because there's been no mention. So we're still September, October. Can't be that far in for sure. And she's already been to the Dean's office well, three times forced. What'd she get time on her own? She got two weeks of detention the first day of school. So we're still, so in we're the like first two weeks. We're like the end of the second week or something like Insane. that. This is going to be a long book. <laughs> it's it's definitely a pretty long book, but there's our casting choice is going to eventually be which office do you think looks the most like Dean Grimm's with <laughs> yeah. how much time we spend there. I uh, one thing I wanted to say is the first time I read this book, and Delbert, I don't know if you had this same feeling. I know what you're going to say. We agreed a hundred percent. We got to it got to a point where every single chapter I read, I started to dislike Alex a little yeah. bit more. Yeah, she's like. I don't, and you don't have your main character doesn't have to be likable. I don't think she's that likable at this point. Yeah. I mean, I know that back and forth, you and me were texting when we started reading this book, and we were like, I just wish she would just stop for once. But it does fit with her character. Like, she does continually get in trouble. She's continually hard headed. She's continually troublesome. I mean, it fits, but I agree. We were certainly frustrated the first time around. I feel like if I were her if I were her friend it would be frustrating as well because she's one of those people where all they have to do is stay out of trouble and they would be fine they would be great at whatever whatever they do but all they can do is seemingly get into trouble. Well, that's exactly my feeling the first time I'm reading this because a big part of the reason I read fan fiction is because I like to expand on the Wizarding World universe. I like to hear about things that are going on and the beginning of this book, the 10 chapters we've read so far, it's like 90% Alex getting in trouble, 10% new stuff. And so that I was frustrated the first time I read this because of that. And this chapter is another example of her not being able to stay out of her own way. And with that, I suppose we can hop into our final two segments. Uh, first with casting. Delbert, if you want to tell us who we're going to cast this week so we can get into that. Yeah, so I figured this week the... Uh main villain it seems so far in the story is going to be larry albo so we might as well put a face to the name um baylor how about you take this one first all right that's fine um my casting even though he's 37 years old i think he plays a really good teenager um by delbert's not i he might know where i'm going with this but my thing was noel fisher who plays mickey from uh shameless 
I haven't seen that, so I didn't know. The reason I was nodding along is I chose a 35-year-old as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, he, uh, I think that show just got done filming, and he is like 20 at the end of the show. So even though he's 37, 20, 21, he plays a 20-year-old. So it it just, and I I think he he looks exactly like I would think a scummy white dude to look. No offense to Noel Fisher if he's listening. To be honest, in that in Shameless, he's a bully, so it fits. Yeah. He's not a nice person. All right. Well, I'll go ahead and reveal mine as well. I went with uh, someone that I know Brady's familiar with. I'm not sure if you've watched this Baylor, but the Magicians. I chose Hale Appleman, who uh, plays. Oh man, I can't think of his name now. Oh, he doesn't play Quentin. Elliot. He plays Elliot. Elliot. You're right. That's his name. Yeah. And he's 35. He would have to be de-aged, probably digitally. But the picture that I'm going to have posted up on our socials, I think the outfit fits. I think his look fits. Just a little bit younger. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. He he doesn't play that type of character necessarily in The Magicians, but he's cocky in The Magicians. He's he's kind of a little bit full of himself most of the time. And so that's kind of the same attitude you get from Larry here. Yeah. All right, Brady, how about you round us out? Uh. I just picked somebody who I knew who I know plays a really good instigator and who I know makes a lot of people angry. Uh, in fact, this is somebody that I know people legitimately cheered for when they died in their the show in their previous show and that's uh Jack Gleason who is most famous for playing Joffrey Baratheon in Game of Thrones. Uh first of all, he played the most infuriating TV character maybe that I've ever watched yeah. on a show, but secondly, I just think that he plays the heel pretty well. And since he plays the heel pretty well, uh, I think he would fill the role nicely. Yeah. Fun fact about him. I don't know if you've uh, kept up with him since Game of Thrones at all. He is consistently doing charity work. Everyone says he is like the most fun and positive person they've ever worked with. So it's really interesting to see how well he moved out of character to play Joffrey Baratheon. Oh, for sure. I, I, I'm i not doubting at all that he's a great person in yeah. real life, but <laughs> in the show, I hated oh, him. Oh, he was horrible. Yeah. I mean, I think both, I'm not sure about your your actor you chose because I'm not familiar with that series, like you said, but definitely uh, Gleason and Noel Fisher, they just had the look of someone who is just a bully or a scumbag. So Yeah, and I kind of have a different look at Larry, and I don't know if maybe it's because the later books are influencing me or not, but I don't necessarily like look at him and see someone that you would think of that looks like a bully. I just think kind of a jock, which might not even fit because he's hanging out with the rashes, which surely isn't the most popular thing to do, but that was always my thought reading along. Sure, and all three of them fit in their own way, just like everything else that we've chosen, and so... I uh, I think they're three good choices myself. True. Uh, and I guess with casting being over, we can hop right into the Baylor prediction segment. And I think we're this week maybe trying to differentiate between the Baylor of present and the Baylor of past episode by adding some kind of sound effect in. We haven't quite decided what it is, but you listeners will hear that uh, right now. Three times should do it, I think. Uh, I believe that their detention will entail some kind of something in the woods, and it will introduce whatever creature lurks out there. Like we saw in the Harry Potter series, obviously it was Voldemort. But we we also 
you know, see them trying to help a unicorn. So I just think it'll it'll be some kind of detention that will introduce some kind of the magical creatures around Charmbridge Academy. All right. Not looking great. No, we just heard Baylor's <laughs> prediction from last week. Uh, they did have detention, but... And it was with Ben Journey. And it was with Ben Journey. But did we know that already? I yeah. don't. Yeah, oh, we we already knew that. the detention okay. was with Ben Journey, right? Yes, and it, I think the, the final line in the previous chapter was they're going to their detention or something so along those lines. we can only really judge the second part where he's saying that the detention's going to be in the forest because Ben Journey's a naturalist. Not close, I guess, is my best description. Uh, I guess you could count the clockwork golems as magical creatures, maybe? I wouldn't call them a creature. I wouldn't right? either. <laughs> I wouldn't probably. either. It, it was worth a shot, you know. It'd be a construct like fresh cut grass, or it would be like kind of like fresh cut grass. Yes, yeah. uh, you know, this is a hard game for you to play because you've never read the book before. Yeah. So I, I didn't expect very many passing grades going in, but I'm still feeling pretty bad for thinking it's a muggle. I think you need to be tested for how much of a squib you are, yeah, I to be honest. So I, if we're in agreement, I'm going to yeah. call this one a muggle. I think it's pretty easy to grade. Unfortunate. Try to dig yourself out of that hole going forward. Otherwise, you're going to have detention. I've been uh, trending around a poor or a, what is it for the American? It is a underperformer for quite some time. Uh, and that just made it worse. So... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no big deal, though. Listen, you're going from Grundy's supervisor to uh, salesman of clockwork gnomes. Or, nope, clockwork golems, rather. You know, I. there's room for everybody in the world. Yeah. And there's hope There's hope still. There's 19 more chapters. That average could come back up. Yeah, imagine hitting a superior or whatever 19 times in a row. What are the odds? Hey, there's yeah, potential. It could yeah. happen. If you do yeah. that, I'm going to assume you're reading ahead, but there's potential. Yeah. Also, I, I don't know if we want to start this now or if there's really a good moment for this now, but another recommendation that I saw in the Discord was to possibly have a longer than one chapter prediction out of Baylor as well. Possibly where the book's heading in the long term, who might be a villain or hero, who might be involved, stuff like that. I think that's a good idea. I guess I don't know if this chapter's the right time to start it because it seems pretty choreographed where we're going and there hasn't been a big drop in the chapter, really. But that was an idea I saw in the Discord. I think it's kind of... It's up to you and me, I think, when we think Baylor's got enough information to make a prediction like that. Right. Because I think if we had to make a long-term prediction now, there's no shot because there's not enough info yet. Yeah. That, so, that's why I'm saying I don't know if it's the right time. Like... Maybe we could have him guess what the prominence of the locket is, but there's not a lot to go off of yet. I think so. it's a great idea, but for the future. Maybe like when we're halfway through the book or something. Right. Uh, before we get there, though, let's have your prediction for next chapter, chapter 11. So for chapter 11, my prediction is I think this visit to the dean's office will result in a far worse punishment than just cleaning. Um, I think both Larry and Alex are grounded from broom flying and broom games for the rest of the year. And I think they both will be given another two weeks of detention. But instead of with Ben Journey, it'll be with someone who maybe 
in the early stages of the book, we've come to to love to hate, and that is Mr. Gru, maybe, potentially. Something nasty like cutting the eyeballs out of dead fish. I don't know. Whatever they do for <laughs> potions. Um, and then I also think Larry and the Rashtens will get even with Alex about the clockwork golem situation. I just don't know how. I like this prediction because there's a lot to it. Yeah. I think, actually, I think when you get a little bit more complex with your yeah. predictions, you give yourself a better chance. Because this one felt really cut and dry. It was, they're going to have detention in the forest. And it was yeah. like, well, no. <laughs> but this one, even if you miss on one part and hit on another, we can maybe move you up a couple grade spots. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> the average is trending towards not. I think you should start though. coming in with like 30 minute predictions and just say everything for every character, and some of it's got to stick. Oh my gosh. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> well, I think we'll stick with the main schedule for now, <laughs> but uh, next week's chapter is a little bit shorter, so I think maybe we'll use next week to dive into a Reddit post that we've wanted to talk about. Um, but until then, I think we can go ahead and sign off. It's been another long one. We keep promising to keep them shorter, but there's just so much to talk about and yeah, it's too much fun. So it's a great time. I'm really hoping someone this week decides to put out the Kanye version of Philosopher's Stone. So <laughs> can't wait to read it. How about I throw out a challenge to our viewers? If why don't you go ahead and comment on one of our social medias or send us a message or for those of you in the discord chat at us, whatever. Let us know if you like the longer episodes or if you would prefer shorter episodes. Maybe that can give us an idea going forward. We did have one person that thanked us for the long episode before. So. That is true. That is true. I mean, I think we'll just keep going with the flow for the most part. Yeah. So yeah. One, we, uh, go ahead. Right before we end, uh, just so we don't forget because they've shouted us out three times, I think now, uh, Big shout out. One of our friends and one of his good buddies are doing a podcast on the Fast and Furious movie series. And they cover the uh, the movie in five-minute segments. So they they talk about, you know, five minutes at a time in each episode. And it's honestly really funny. Um, you know, they just shit on the movie because it was the early 2000s. So obviously acting special effects aren't the best. Um, but... Go ahead and check them out. It's called the Fast 5-Minute Podcast. Yeah. And, I mean, if you love Los Angeles street races, Miami street races, and family, it's the place to be. Excuse me. Miami. Miami. Yeah, Apologies. True, true. And I believe their names are Giard and Stone, I think. Is... Oh, I thought it was Stone. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. I don't really know him. He's the, he's he's Giarde's friend. So yeah. I thought one of them was called Tanner. No, I think that's his profession. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they talk about tanning cowhides or something. Well, at any rate, go check out the Fast 5-Minute Podcast. Uh, it is a really fun and interesting podcast, and to be quite frank, it's the reason we're doing this podcast is because we thought they were having a good time and we wanted in on the action. Yep. So uh, go check that out, but otherwise we're going to go ahead and sign off. Uh, we'll see you next week for Chapter 11 of Alexander Quick in the Thorn Circle, and I just wanted to uh, let you know, Delbert, that there is already a Kanye version. It's called Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, the Yeezy Who Yeed. I love it. Good night. Good night.